With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. The following program is brought to you by Podcast One Sportsnet. Don't forget to download our new Podcast One app. Quick break to tell you guys about NFL Game Pass, the only way that you can replay every game all season long. You can relive all the gutsy calls, crazy catches, wild comebacks, and breakout stars from every game every week. It's all the action, all the football you can handle, all in one place. So every game that we're talking about right now, you guys can rewatch it after the fact. I'm going to be going back, and you guys can too. Go check out Lamar Jackson in week one. Go check out Dak Prescott and what that Cowboys offense actually did. Go check out Kyler Murray and his NFL debut. That's my favorite thing about NFL Game Pass. You can go back and watch at any time. And if you haven't watched a condensed game yet, You have to try it out. It's every play from the game back to back to back so you can replay an entire NFL game in the fraction of the time it normally takes. It's how I'm able to follow all the MVP candidates, all the breakout stars, and, of course, your waiver wire pickups all season long. To see all the action this season and stay on top of all the big storylines, you need NFL Game Pass. Best of all, you can kick off the 2019 NFL season with a seven-day free trial of NFL Game Pass. Just sign up now at nfl.com slash pro football focus nfl minnesota vikings at the new orleans saints Mm. this is the one from the weekend that i struggle to find a way the vikings win this game vikings fans also hate you because you say that all the time i struggle tell me i'm wrong The Minnesota Vikings have beaten the New Orleans Saints 26-20 in overtime. And this game, indeed, was a San Francisco treat. Tennessee Titans at the Baltimore Ravens Saturday night game. Lamar in primetime. <laughs> yes. This should be fun. This is the game, much like last week, when I couldn't see the way the Vikings could win it. I can't see how Tennessee wins this game. And Ravens fans are making their way to the exits, and they can't believe it. An incredible story being written by the Tennessee Titans. They upset the Baltimore Ravens and advance to the AFC Championship game. Wrong again, Sam. No shot. You couldn't see any way that the Titans could win? Wrong again. Second straight week. You said there's no way the Vikings could beat the Saints. No way the Titans could beat the Ravens. It's like you forgot the playoff football even happens, that things happen. It's like you completely forgot. And here we are, Titans moving on this week, a week after you were wrong about the Vikings, and they moved on. 
Yeah. With great power comes great responsibility. Yeah. Um, this is like the early years, you know, when a superhero doesn't quite understand that they have these powers and there's some teething problems. And then by the end, they understand how, how it works and they use the, these things for good. So what I will be doing next week on the Thursday podcast is essentially auctioning off my ability to reverse jinx the team. Really? Yeah. Yeah. So if you're, if your team is still in the NFL playoffs, one of the final four remaining, um, I could be convinced to not see any way they could win the game in the championship Smart. game. Smart. For Spend the right for offer. This is the opposite of us last year hmm. when we were foreseeing everything that happened on Thursday night. Right. Turns out I still have the power. I just didn't understand how it was manifesting itself. All right. So tune in Thursday. So because you guys could buy yourself a victory. Yes. Now, Packers fans, they've already checked out because Eric and George ran them all off hmm. last week. Well, I'm not sure they have that ability, right? What we need, so email in your offers, you know, podcasts at BFF.com. Start offering the bribes. I'm, I'm willing to, to auction off this, this ability to torpedo any team. I like it. Use it for good. Yep. So here we are, PFF NFL podcast. We're recapping the divisional round and what a divisional round it was. Our friend Kevin Clark from the uh, Ringer. Is he your friend? I uh, know. My friend, Kevin Not Clark. Not that I dislike him. I've just never met the man. He's my friend. Okay. Kevin Clark from The Ringer. My colleague. Everybody I know in the media were just like colleagues. Hmm. You know, like, like Pete Prisco. He's like not a friend. It's just like, you know, we talked before, you know? Uh, so Kev Clark basically predicted that, like, once you kick the Patriots out of the playoffs, like, it's all going to go down. Craziness is going to ensue. And I feel like that's what, that's what we have. He did, yeah. I did like his point, which is essentially that it's better when they're not there. Yeah, like it's it's less predictable. You don't get the Patriots in the Super Bowl every single year. You've got, you know, anything can happen. Yeah. And you have this constant feeling while they're there that like it it doesn't matter, really matter how this goes. Ultimately, it's going to come down to the Patriots again. And it's just miserable. Well, they've always been the best when they're gone. But now you have that. You get the sense of fun and chaos. You have the Titans upsetting the one seed. You have the Texans blowing a 24 to nothing lead, which actually wasn't all that surprising. Going up against the Chiefs, you have the Niners taking care of business, and then you have uh, a good finish in the Packers and Seahawks game. We're going to unpack all of it. Let's start with Saturday. Chronologically. Saturday afternoon, Vikings at the 49ers, 27 to 10. And what was your your big takeaway? Well, I thought for a minute we were, I thought for a minute this weekend was going to be like three crazy upsets and the Vikings just getting a routine pasting. Um, right. That's kind of the, the, the takeaway from this game was basically just how completely predictable and routine and inevitable it was. Um, the Vikings, they just right at the start, they they got the big touchdown to Stephon Diggs. And for a second, it looked like, you know, they might be able to hang and make this interesting. And then no. And even Jimmy G making uh, Eric Kendricks, his favorite target of the day, couldn't overcome the fact that the Vikings just couldn't stop the 49ers on offense and they couldn't really get anything to go in themselves because the 49ers defense was amazing. But sort of midway through the game, as the Vikings were just, you know, we like to establish the run. We're going to run Dalvin Cook because otherwise play action doesn't function. We need to keep running him. Um, their offense reminded me a little bit of something. And we have a clip about what exactly it reminded me of. So take a listen. Now, Field Marshal Haig has formulated... A brilliant new tactical plan to ensure final victory in the field. Ah, 
Would this brilliant plan involve us climbing out of our trenches and walking very slowly towards the enemy, sir? <laughs> How could you possibly know that, Blackadder? It's classified information. <laughs> it's the same plan that we used last time, and the 17 times before that. It, it, exactly! And that is what is so brilliant about it. It will catch the watchful Hun totally off guard. Doing precisely what we've done 18 times before is exactly the last thing they'll expect us to do this time. That effectively... The parallels are unparalleled. Yes. That effectively is the Vikings' offense. We're going to keep running it. Very slowly towards the enemy who is just mowing them down. Our O-line's demoralized. And doing the same thing 18 times in a row, expecting something else to change. That was good. What show is that now? Blackadder. Okay. That's like, uh, explain to, uh, you know, Americans. British sitcom. Um, there's four series, four seasons, as you guys say, of this show. And each one features Edmund Blackadder as like the central character, but in a different time period in history. So this one was in World War One, the setting. Um, yeah, but that that was how I interpret the Vikings offense. Just, <laughs> just doing exactly the same thing over and over again walking into a murder field of the 49ers defense. You remain the king of analogies. Thank you. And we actually had some audio confirmation. That was good. Yeah. So they did not, did not run the ball well. No. And then my favorite stat of this entire game is when they did pass, Kirk Cousins pressured on 17 out of 35 dropbacks. So just about 50% of the time where the Vikings net negative five yards, hmm. minus five on those 17 pressure dropbacks. They passed for 41 and got sacked for 46. So they lost five yards on those 17 pressured dropbacks. Yeah, I mean, I think a big part of the problem is that they were overmatched, right? You know, we I, this, I've kind of said this for a while. Like last week against the Saints was obviously a big shock. They, they, they turned up. They had an amazing game plan. They were able to stop the Saints. But ultimately, all the way along, it kind of felt like there were levels to this game. And the Vikings never felt like they were on the level of the best teams in the NFL. Now, that didn't mean they weren't able to look this week and the last week have shown that on any given Sunday, any of these teams are capable of beating any other team, particularly in the playoffs. But it always kind of felt like the Vikings were inevitably about to run up against a team that were just better than they were across the board. And that's what happened here. But what really didn't help is that if that's going to be the case, right? And it was. Look, they were what? Seven point dogs in this game? Like, well, yeah, they were significant right. underdogs. Right. So, same as the Packers going into right. San Francisco. So, everybody essentially recognized that they were a worse team than the 49ers. If you're going into a game where you are expected to lose effectively, you need to do something to swing that seven points in your favor. You need to do some more unconventional things. You they need tried. To get, get them off guard, and they- you can't just. Walk they tried to muffle punt in their own territory. 17 times. <laughs> like, you have to do yeah. something a little bit unexpected. It's, so, you know, you can't just go out there and expect to execute the thing that you know and they know you're about to run. So this reminds me, I'm not as good at comparisons and analogies or anything like that, but I will Despite compare. a recent fine record. I know. I have pulled some stuff out. Right. Right. Um, but there are two games. The, the Texans game reminded me of a, a previous game, both uh, Patriots games. But this one reminded me a little bit of a Kubiak team, right? So the 2012 Texans go into New England in the playoffs. And the Kubiak Shanahan system is just predicated on outside zone and play action. Like they just have the stuff that they do. And the 2012 version was like Matt Schaub's under center. 
And the Patriots were so good at stopping the run. It's like what they did. They weren't good at, you know, stopping the pass. And then, of course, the Patriots offense at that time was explosive, like they're going to put up 30. And, they, you know, they went into New England and it felt like one of those games where it's like, whether you trust Matt Schaub or not, you kind of have to just kind of like drop back and chuck it. Like you got to chuck it 40 or 50 times and try to put up points in New England. And this was kind of like the case going up against the Patriots for many years. Teams were a little too conservative and they didn't try to, you know, work the extremes a little bit. It felt it feels a little bit like that with the Shanahan Kubiak offense. And we'll talk about it with the Ravens a little bit, too. You know, if you get behind, can they be a must pass team? Could the Vikings go in as underdogs against a really good pass defense with a bad offensive line? Could they even implement a strategy where it's like, look, Dalvin Cook's not going to win this game for us. It has to come through the passing attack and you know, go to those extremes. I thought that the Texans should have done it back. It's just not in their nature, though. But the thing that makes this offense so good most of the time, I mean, this general coaching branch of the tree, right, rather than the Vikings offense. Right. The thing that makes this scheme so good is that everything looks like everything else, right? So the outside zone runs look like the bootleg play action, look like the screen game. The whole thing looks the same. So defenses are constantly having to hesitate and figure out what exactly it is we're looking at before we can play it, which so when you roll into a game like this, you just need to make sure that you're not giving them the thing they're expecting, you know, so on first and 10, there's the Vikings more than most teams have a tendency to run the ball, right? Right. You have, so what I'm saying is because your offense is set up in a way that everything can look like everything else. You have to break your tendencies in a game like this from a play calling standpoint rather than just do the same thing you always do and expect it to work against a better team. They didn't. They didn't break their tendencies. The 49ers read what they were going to do and are better than most teams at stopping it. Consequently, they went nowhere. Thank you, sir. Of the remaining teams in the playoffs, you have actual Kyle Shanahan of of the Shanahan tree. Uh, you have the Vikings with Kubiak and you know Stefanski, who's now moving on to the Browns. You have Matt Lafleur. Uh, you have the Titans run a little bit, you know, outside zone and boot off that. It's not exactly, but there's a lot of this, you know, this tree in the branch, uh, this uh, this coaching tree, branches on the coaching tree. Yeah, <laughs> remaining that have had success. We have Sean McVay, all that stuff. But I think you know the Packers. We'll talk about some of the adjustments they've made off the scheme. They did a great job with Devontae Adams to scheme him open on one of the touchdowns yesterday. The Niners, uh, you know, Kyle Shanahan might get kicked out of the outside zone Slack channel because he runs some gap gap scheme now. He runs power. You know, he runs some other, you know, the outside zone teams through the years think that's it. Like, that's what you practice. You rep it out. You run outside zone. That's it. And everything comes off of that. Shanahan's actually evolved the offense. He has taken that next step with it and run different different run concepts off of that. That's like, that's taboo with the outside zone folks. They hate that. Yeah. They're like, no, we're outside zone. He's going to get kicked out. He's going get, get, to get kicked out of the club. Of his own club? Yeah. Well, like, hey, wouldn't it? Wouldn't like his dad might not invite him to Thanksgiving. Say, who would have to kick it? Wouldn't it be Mike that had to kick him out? Yeah, Alex Gibbs. Alex Gibbs. Gibbs, so is, Gibbs who, probably runs the Slack channel. Well, Gibbs, Gibbs was the guy dealing with the blocking, right? He was like the O-line guru back in the Denver days. Yeah, and he just believed you have to wrap it out. That's right. it. Outside but, zone. I mean, in theory, like, so Gibbs would be one of the charter members, but it's Shanahan's club, right? Yeah, I don't know. I'll have to go, I'll have to go see who owns the Slack channel. I mean, Mike, looks, Mike looked pretty happy 
up in the, the skybox. Maybe he broke away, too. And it's yeah. like, yeah, you can run power. Well, then they just change the club. Then it's just, look, look, decisions were made in management. We've gone a different direction. <laughs> it's a different club. And you guys just have to deal with it. Well, anyway, they have evolved. Matt LaFleur showed some evolution. It felt like, I mean, the Vikings, I don't want to take away from what they did this year. Kevin Stefanski's taken a lot good. of heat because, you know, everybody was like, well, how do you give them the Browns job after this performance? First of all, if your process is based off of a Saturday afternoon playoff game, whether or not you can hire somebody, you got issues. Yes. Right. Is, I mean, this is a slightly, slightly less ridiculous, though, from exactly the same family as, you know, the final week 17 yeah, game week against 17. the Bengals was going to decide um, Freddie Kitchen's tenure. Like, if like, this was that, true, that truly was meaningless. This, I mean, at least if they'd managed something amazing, it's like, okay, there's there's a tangible difference here. Right. But yeah, one game in the playoffs or not should not be determining whether that guy gets the job or not. Yeah. The thing that the Vikings did well this year. You know, they and they he evolved. is so by our metrics, the guy was like a top five play caller. Right. For in the year in the way. We, well, the way we do the play calling stuff is to take the talent on the team, the performance of those guys on the team, and then try to project project what the output would be, what the production would be. And the Vikings exceeded expectations in that mm-hmm. regard. And I think the simple way to show that is missing one of their two viable wide receivers for a big chunk. Exactly. And, you know, when you look at Cousins, there was a point I never updated the stats, but there was a point where 30 percent of his yards were coming off of boot action or screens. Right. Just so that's manufactured easy yards. That's what the Vikings were lacking there. I mean, the, the Niners did a great job of taking away the screen game, the underneath stuff, the boot action stuff. I mean, you just see. This whole playoffs, it's just like outside zone, boot, boot, boot. But there's variations off that because, you know, you, you don't roll out. You end up misdirecting to the other way and all that stuff. We saw the the Chiefs do a good job of that. I mean, there's there's so much off of that outside zone and play action scheme. The Vikings just didn't have it going against the Niners here. And the Niners defense is pretty legit. It is. Um, I think ultimately we just saw the limitations of this Vikings roster. Um, the offensive line for the I many straight year continues to be a problem. Um, they're better in run blocking. So they've, they've thrown a lot at this offensive line, you know, Pat Elfly and Garrett Bradbury, decent high level picks. Brian O'Neill is the one that's kind of worked out. Um, and he missed time in this game injured. So they've kind of, th- and you know, Riley reef was a big free agent acquisition. So they've actually thrown a hell of a lot at this offensive line and it's marginally upgraded it. Like it is, it's much better from a run blocking point of view, but it's terrible in pass protection. And ultimately, like you're going to be in games, particularly in the playoffs where you're going to need to pass block. And if you can't do that, you're screwed. I mean, Reef Reef is the epitome of the average guy, which is fine. Yeah. And the problem, the problem with those average tackles is that when you do face top level competition again, which is more likely in the playoffs, you could have some trouble. You lose bad. So the, the or problem, when you put him next to Elfline, who's well, Elf below average and struggling, garbage to pass um, block. The problem with yeah, the problem with league average left tackles is that those guys don't just sort of you don't just get a little bit exposed when you play elite competition. You get your ass kicked. So Riley Reef will play okay most of the year, but when he runs up against really top level competition, he just gets victimized. Pat Elfline gets victimized by pretty much everybody. Garrett Bradbury is one of the worst pass blocking centers in the NFL in year one. Um, like Josh Klein is you know, all right. And Brian O'Neill is the one guy that's passable and he got hurt. So you're back to an offensive line that just couldn't hold up at all. And this is the same story as it was in 2017. 
and it's been the tale of this regime is for all the various problems they've had in other areas, the offensive line has been a continual thorn in their side and a, a thing that is going to prevent this team having success. Like their offensive line has consistently been at the level of you probably can't win with this group unless you have an MVP caliber quarterback. And whatever you think about Kirk Cousins, he isn't that. Yeah, I mean, the, the numbers were staggering outside of that Diggs 41-yard touchdown, which is essentially a jump ball where Diggs did all the work. I mean, and they, the aver- they averaged about like after that. a yard per drop back, yeah. essentially. Like where this team got boned yeah. at least twice in that drive and then got benched. Right. So and after that, I mean, the Niners really locked it down. Let's let's flip to the other side and discuss this this Niners offense because they run the sim- that similar scheme, like I said, with I think a few more wrinkles. You know, they'll run slightly different run concepts and everything. If you go to PFF Premium Stats 2.0, all part of your PFF Elite Package, just go to the Allowed Pressures tab. That's where you get the pass blocking and the run blocking. And you just look at that Niners team from a run blocking standpoint. It's all green. All the guys that, that are significant, O-line and Kittle, are green. Mm. I mean, that's it. Kittle, 73. Joe Staley, uh, 77. Joe Staley, 73. Lake and Tomlinson, 66. Our guy Mike McGlinchey carrying the way with an 89.6, the best of the weekend. Savvy veteran. Among tackles. Have you clicked on his player page, though? His picture look, it looks like he found the fountain of youth. I don't oh. want to ruin the shtick, though. Don't, don't click on it. No. He's still 40. Yeah. But yeah, the veteran Mike, Mike McGlinchey leading the Niners to the playoffs. And then it's funny because Garoppolo had that game 65 grade because he tried to throw the ball to Eric Kendricks twice, one of which was picked mm-hmm. off. And that's what he, I think he's going to need to avoid those against the Packers. He's gotten away with it throughout the season. So yeah, they've won a lot of games where he just has this like, you know, two, one or two moments per game. Like, what are you looking at? And we talked about this before. He's one of those quarterbacks of which there is a type who, when they make terrible mistakes, it's that linebacker level. They just don't see them. I don't know what it is, but there's certain don't quarterbacks know. that just don't, their, their mistakes are always failing to see the dropping linebacker underneath. Or not even dropping. Sometimes just the guy standing there between you and where you want to go with the ball. I don't know if it's always just so much trust in the system because we, we talked about how difficult it was going to be on linebackers facing all these. You, you, they're on a string the whole time. It's zone left and zone right. And you got them moving all over the place. If there's just this assumption that they're going to be out of position. But like when you watch the actual interception, it was a really good read by Kendricks. He was not fighting on the play well. action. And yeah, I mean, he just he ran he was, the right for him. He was slow playing it. He was playing pass first and all these things that, you know, we definitely encourage. You don't you don't want to give up five or six yards a pop. But you certainly don't want to give up the 15 yard route behind you. And I think that was the trade off. And Kendricks made a nice play. Yeah. I mean, they were both really good plays by Kendricks. They, they were those are the plays he's been making all season long. Um, you know, he didn't get the interceptions in the regular season. So people, I don't think, notice how good he was in coverage, but he's been doing that all season long. Most pass breakups among linebackers. For the 49ers, their team top to bottom is really good. But having a quarterback who has a tendency to not see linebackers and throw the ball directly to them on a you know semi-regular basis is concerning. Um, because, you know, if you've seen, if there's one thing you can tell from this weekend is that crazy random ass turnovers can have a monster effect on a game. And if he has one of those against the Packers, like that can change everything. Well, there's also, there's like this balance between not seeing them and then taking chances at throwing the ball into NFL type windows. Garoppolo's first throw 
was just a beauty into like no window. It was up and over the linebacker. And that would, you know, if that was left short, it's, it's picked off. That was, that would be more like, here's a calculated risk that paid off versus, you know, he wasn't really trying to float the ball. Like he was trying to float the ball over Kendricks, but it was after not realizing that he was there, which was different from his first throw, which was like, man, that was a, that was a dime up and over the coverage. I thought it was interesting as well. The graphic they pulled out after, was it after the interception or after the first one that was showing how good he's been after he makes the costly mistake. Yeah, that was really, that was good. I don't know how much of that is just a product of small sample size and quirkiness. And if it was after that first bad decision, then it might not still hold up because he then threw the pick. Um, But it is kind of interesting that, all right, he might make that mistake, but that might sort of shock him into playing better. But that could have, you know, we're talking like the Packers, the Green Bay 49ers game looks like it's going to set up to be like a seven point spread. If one of those, that's one of those plays. Like oh, yeah. He throws that to avoid in the wrong that. place and it's a pick six. Yep. There's, there's your spread gone immediately based off one bad decision that the quarterback seems to have a tendency to make. Just to wrap it up on this game, Quan Alexander did come back, played 25 snaps for the 49ers, did manage to miss two tackles. Um, Emmanuel Mosley, when he came in for Akello Witherspoon, Witherspoon gave up three catches for 70 yards in that touchdown plus a penalty. Yeah. Um, not a good end. other than so he gave up three for 70 other than that the Niners gave up 18 for 102 yeah Richard Sherman had a big day but yeah Mo, it looks like Mosley's probably going to be the guy their defense going forward shit. yeah um, and then the pass you, rush Bosa and Armstead and Buckner just getting after it Quan Alexander had the same injury as J.J. Watt in terms of a torn peck do you know the severity of the two because he's essentially no. had the exact same comeback as J.J. Watt only a week delayed is this just like medical science is uh, well, that's why I, pushing these I things know, along? Right? I, yeah, I don't know. Because I was busy a week ago being like, we should make J.J. Watt comeback player of the year. A guy came back from a, from a season-ending injury in the middle of the season. Now, Quan Alexander, literally, it's the exact same timeline. He just got injured a week after J.J. Watt did. So unless his injury was, you know, markedly less severe, like a, a lower-grade tear, he literally replicated what J.J. Watt did just a week later. Yeah, I mean, the Niners didn't really need to rush them back either. They were getting pretty good production out of Greenlaw and Warner at linebacker for yeah. them in the middle of their defense. Um, but yeah, Quan got out there for 25 snaps. Do not know the severity of hmm. his injury. How's that? I mean, it's not helpful, but sure. It's not. So Niners 27 to 10 moving on to the NFC Championship. Wasn't it just nice? I mean, Niners home games in the playoffs, you know, a little bit of sun and you know, just felt like old candlestick, didn't it? Well, they even showed all kind of. I know that was great. Yeah. They got all all sorts of nostalgia on it. It's great. Instead, we're in like Levi Field in Santa Clara. Or Not as misty eyed as Troy Aikman. Poor, poor Troy showing I showing some were, genuine emotion, and it's he's going to become a Jordan meme. I thought they killed Jimmy uh, Johnson. I thought he was going to die, like giving a speech. Yeah. Like I just <clears throat> that was fun. Was, can you imagine how south that would have gone if they'd accidentally killed him? Yeah, that would have been bad. Yeah. You surprise Jimmy with his Hall of Fame that would have been thing, bad. and the guy just keels over on stage live. I was like when the Ultimate Warrior passed you can, away the day after he got inducted. Well, at least that was the day after. He didn't like know, seize up on the stage with the mic. Like yeah. You can't hide that kind of thing. There's no like quick cut to commercial, and then just Jimmy's not there when they come back. Also, by the way, how freaking huge is that David Baker dude? The Hall of Fame guy? Six nine four hundred. So he's your size, but 400 pounds. Yeah. Wow. I'm not even 300 yet. Right. He's like 
He really is a monster. He's huge. He can't. So he went on to both broadcasts, right? It was Fox on Sunday yeah. and uh, C- CBS on Saturday. And both those crews have like, you know, ex-NFL. So, you know, one of them has got um, Boomer, right? Remember when we went to Boomer Boomer's Studio? Big. Right. Okay, Boomer. Boomer's yeah. huge. Okay, Boomer Esiason. Yeah. So there was me in the middle of you on one side. Boomer Esiason over here and whoever his co-host is, I'm sorry, I don't know your name, but he's like a regular large person, right? Yeah. So you got monster. tiny. Right. Freak monster. Boomer, who it turns out is quite a freak monster himself. His co-host is just like a regular, like 6'2", 220 pound guy. And me looking like a 12 year old child stood in between them. David Baker rolls out there and makes Boomer look like I looked in that picture. Guy is huge. He's a monster. Sam Baker's dad. Yeah, little tackle for the that. for the Falcons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What are we? Sam Baker, USC, and we then had the Falcons. a nickname for him, didn't we? I don't remember it. It wasn't. It wasn't kind. So it's probably not helpful right now. But. Save it. Save it for later. Okay. All right. Saturday night. Yes. Tennessee Titans twenty-eight. Baltimore Ravens twelve. So many things happened. No conceivable way that in Titans this game. Win this game. So you didn't. So I tried to paint a picture for you. And to be fair, the picture we painted happened. I said, Kevin Byard's going to pick off a pass. Mm-hmm. And then I said, Kevin, Kenny Vaccaro, you got where's the fumble. audio for this? I said he was going to force a fumble. Now, he had a, he had a little curl flat interception well, instead. If you actually cared more about your job, you'd have realized that and pulled out the audio yourself. Done no, some people work. should know everything that I said. And then I did some legwork behind mine. You did. You just, you did. You just roll in there and expect it to happen for you. Anyway, the, the well, here's the thing, right? So everything during the week. One of the questions everybody was asking was, how do you stop Lamar Jackson and this Ravens offense, right? And ultimately, you kept coming back to, well, you, you can't really. The, the best way to actually stop them is to win on offense yourself and put them in a hole and change fundamentally the way they have to approach the game, which is exactly what happened, right? And everybody, so I, I, this is one of those interesting games where you come out of it and everybody, is, everybody has the wrong takeaway from the game, Right. Derrick Henry led the Titans to a monster victory against Baltimore, ran all over them. And that's why they won. I mean, that's a big, that was a big part of it. Let's not diminish Derrick Henry. I'm not diminishing in the run him. Game. I'm explaining how the game happened because Derrick Henry is not what won the game for the Titans. What won the game for the Titans is the fact that they put Baltimore in a double digit hole right off the bat. So interception, uh, passing touchdown, Johnny Smith makes insane one handed grab. One cheek equals two feet in the back of the end zone. Um, then they get another one. Bomb Tannehill deep down the field. Two touchdowns. Khalif Raymond. I now mean, Baltimore specialist. has a problem because they go out there. They want to run the ball every single play. Put you in an awkward spot to defend everything. Now they're down two scores. They have to start chasing the game. And that is when stuff starts to unravel. Now, Derrick Henry is what allowed you to build on that lead and to maintain it and to chew clock and to do all the other things you have to do. But the 14-point hole was monstrous, right? The other thing that swung in their favor that had to happen is that all through the season, we've been talking about how the John Harbaugh and the Ravens have been playing the percentages. They've been stealing an edge across the board with their fourth down decisions, their two-point decisions, all that kind of stuff. Ultimately, if all those odds fall against you, you get screwed, right? Oh yeah, it's like, like poker player, you know. But they so, were they were hitting on 
such a high percentage of their right. fourth down. Fourth and one, they got stuffed twice in this game, which was the only two times they had been stuffed all season long. And that was a little weird by Lamar, too. He was hesitant. He wasn't really following the, the flow of the play on a couple. But it wasn't great. This is kind of like a poker player, right? You just play the math. But sometimes yeah. the math doesn't go your way. You can get a bad beat, right? The Ravens made these fourth down calls the way they have all season long, and they got stuffed instead. Like so, this is a team that normally steals drives because of that, and instead they crap out and turn the ball over. So you have turnovers. You have the first fourth down happened in their own territory, which led to a 44-yard touchdown right. uh, coming out which of that 45-yard touchdown. The, I mean, it was the right decision to go for it, right. as it has been all the way through, the, but yep. the Titans stuffed it, and that's and a huge play. What was interesting about that is in my head I was thinking, I hope, I hope Harbaugh, and I, I credit Harbaugh for sticking to what the numbers say, because I was thinking – they're down right now, seven to nothing, right? There are points when you're down, when the, don't let the score dictate your decision-making. We'll talk about Bill O'Brien in a minute. When they were up, when the Texans were up 21 to nothing, it's a lot easier to say, oh, fourth and inches, whatever. We'll just kick a field goal. When the goal should still be to maximize points, right? Until, you, until you're in like run the clock out situation, you try to maximize points. So the Ravens were down seven, which sometimes could be like, man, you start to think about, well, if this fails, we could fall down 14 or we could fall down 10, where it's a lot easier to make that decision if you're up three or if it's, you know, no score early in the game or whatever it is. He stuck to his gun, stuck with what should have maximized points. They failed on that fourth down. They failed on two separate fourth downs, or you could also say the Titans stopped them on fourth down. So Titans, fourth down stops, the early interception, um, and then Lamar, the first interception was like, hey, it was kind of an overthrow overthrows generally fall incomplete and then in the third quarter that's when i think the the key plays there lamar fumble lamar misreads curl flat throws it right to kenny vaccaro and then that derrick henry run though was an absolute game changer 66 yarder on one that should have been stopped on third and two where do we come down on that first interception because i only saw it live it looked, i don't know what we officially catchable i don't know what we officially created it was definitely higher than you would sure. want it yeah, but I it's mean, one it was, of those it's it was, a in the scheme of is it turnover worthy? No, because it shouldn't be an interception. It should be either an incompletion or a great catch. Yeah, it was definitely a fraction high. I mean, even on the broadcast, they were talking about how Mark Andrews was dealing with a, what was it, an ankle or a hamstring or something and didn't look like he was capable of getting up the way he normally gets up. That looked like a very catchable pass. Um, what did happen is that Lamar definitely started to press a little bit. He did. He started to press and started to press quite early. I mean, if there's one thing, again, we saw from this weekend from the other game, the Chiefs-Texans, which we'll get to, it's that a lot of ball game left. You know what I mean? Yeah. Even when you're in a hole, you can change this thing pretty quickly, and you really don't need to press I that mean, much. And Lamar still, he made, the other thing that went right for the Titans versus the Ravens was there was a bunch of drops early on. Huge. Key third down drops, whatever Multiple it was. Plays. So, like I tweeted out the other night, like Lamar didn't play bad which immediately got interpreted as, well, you thought he played well. I'm like, well, I just, he was like, just okay. He, he really made some, he made some really game. bad plays. He also dropped some dimes. The other interesting thing about the whole game, right? And this is where like the disconnect, they scored 12 points. The Ravens, the best throw of the game for Lamar was that seam route to Marquise Brown just before the half, which could have completely transformed the game, which could right, But then the next play, yeah. 11 seconds, and Lamar dances around, throws the ball away with all they should have gotten two plays out of that. Right. It should have been quick fade, quick slant, get something, try to get it into the end zone. So it's one of those, like it doesn't take away from the fact that he had a, a field flipping throw 
to Marquise Brown. Completely flipped the field, put them in position to maybe score a touchdown before the half. Great catch, too. Great catch as well. Instead, they ended up only getting three, which yeah. they may have only gotten three anyway because Justin Tucker's awesome and they were 50-plus right. yards away. Then um, when he started pressing too much, the second interception, whatever about the first one, the second one was terrible. That was bad. Didn't, didn't read Vicaro dropping under it. Yeah. Tried to force, steal, you know, a quick out, bad, bad turnover. And then the fumble, which was as bad as the second interception. Held the ball is, way too long. Right. Yeah. And the thing is, it was, it was, this was def, this is a good example of the, the way PFF's fumble grading works, right? Because yes, it came from behind. So you can argue, well, how did he know that was coming? Right. But one, he held on for an age. Two, he had to avoid that specific pressure the first time around. Yeah, stepped you know, up, yeah. stepped up, and it's like, all right, now there's a, now there's like a legit ticking clock, right? I know there's pressure coming because I just had to step out of its way. I need to get rid of the ball, and instead, it's hold it, hold it, hold it, and that guy gets back to you and makes the fumble, right? Even though the quarterback did not directly see that coming, that's a hundred percent on him. He needs to know that's coming and should know that's coming because he had to avoid the guy in the first place. No, the only time we really absolve the fumbles is when it's like quick pressure. You literally can't feel it or see it. And it's like you're in the middle right. of the throwing. But it's motion. usually those like blindside from behind. Right. You didn't know it was coming. Bam. Right? No, this was on. There this was on, on Lamar. Um, I mean, the other nuance to this was like all of his passing stats came in garbage time. And yeah, I mean, he moved the ball. He did pick up a lot of passing stats in the second half and a lot of rushing yards, too. We finished with a quiet 143 yards on the ground, right. 79 on scrambles. Um, but he, he did pick up, you know, over 150 yards in the first half and did, you know, again, overall through the ball better in the first half than the second half. Yeah. Ultimately ends up with a below slightly below average grade, I think, is where he landed. Maybe average grade for us. Um, but, yeah, I think, you know, bottom line, Ravens were taken out of their game plan. They didn't get to run the offense that they want to run. Is that their own fault? Yeah, a little bit. I mean, you have to, to an extent. you can dictate the action there too, even yeah. if you're down 14 to nothing. You can. I mean, that's what I was saying that, you know, you have to understand there's a lot of game yeah. left. Now, that becomes more difficult when you run an offense that is stylistically like Baltimore's as opposed to Kansas City's, right? The Chiefs' offense is is built for those kind of games, and you know we said all before that you can shut them down for three quarters and they'll score twenty eight in the fourth. So you know it's, it's a different thing. The Ravens' offense systematically takes more time to function. So as much as you do have a lot of ball game left, you don't have as much as the Chiefs do, be, just because of the styles of offense right. you run. But I wrote, I mean, I was writing notes during this game. And one of the notes I wrote is that the first half was like a perfect storm of things to go wrong for the Ravens, yep. right? Whether it was the turnover, the quick scores that the Titans got to put you in a hole, the fact that you kept dropping the ball in key third down situations, like everything came together to put them in an ugly hole that they couldn't climb their way out of. Now, it's definitely true that they couldn't climb their way out of, but when we when we were previewing this game... I was like, all right, there's no, I can't see any way they win, but if they were to win, this is how it would happen. And these are all the things that would need to go that way for that to happen. All of them happened in the first half. I know you're trying to uh, make some money off this prediction and mm. stuff like that, but maybe you shouldn't make these statements because it's football, whatever, especially with the Titans, the Titans. Here's the funny thing. I want to, I want to give Derek Henry and the offensive line credit right now. You've got Jack Conklin, and Taylor Lewan, the two tackles, they're the uh, one and three in run blocking grade in the playoffs among tackles. Roger Saffold's playing some really good football. He's number five among all offensive linemen from a run blocking standpoint. The line's doing a great job. 
Henry's running hard and all that stuff. The narrative, though, is that they've got this like archaic offense that they trotted into the playoffs and are just like taking the league by storm. The Titans got to the playoffs through the passing game because Ryan Tannehill was the highest graded passer in all of PFF this year. They have the number two EPA per play since Tannehill took over in the pass game, right? Going up against the Chiefs, who are the number two team in EPA per pass the entire season, this is a matchup of two of the best passing offenses in the entire NFL. Now, the game flow the last couple weeks was run heavy, Derrick Henry driven, and boy, when he gets going, he is tough to tackle. I mean, he is playing spectacular football, but let's not kid ourselves. This isn't a team from 1980 that snuck into the 2019 playoffs. This is a well-rounded Tennessee offense that can win any way and got to the playoffs on the back of an incredible pass game. I think that's the critical point is that they're showing that they can win any style of game now. This is kind of like the Patriots for years where, look, their offense likes to do one specific thing, but if you show them that the other way is better for a game, their game plan is going to flip. Titans, they are a really good passing offense, but they've just shown you that for two games, if this is the better way of doing it, they'll run Derrick Henry into the ground. Um, and the other thing too, like with Tannehill scrambles for like a little three yard first down QB sneak runs for a touchdown. He threw the other two. One was the great catch. One was a good throw and, and route. He is making, he's making the high leverage plays. Yeah. We'll say, I know he only threw for like 88 yards and all that stuff, but this isn't like, I love you, Trent Dilfer. You're a, you're a friend and all this. This isn't like Trent, Trent Dilfer completing 36 passes in four games on the way to the Super Bowl for the Ravens. This is like when Tannehill is throwing the ball, he's making some really good throws and they're valuable throws and he's running the ball like he is contributing to the offense, too. It's not just the run game Derrick Henry show. And the offensive line point is huge because early in the season, that offensive line was OK. Yeah, it was struggling. Um, Saffold in particular looked like a free agent disaster as an acquisition at the start of the year. Um, all the line has come together. They're blocking. They've dominated two of the better defensive fronts in the last couple of weeks. And it's a big part of why Derrick Henry is able to run so well. It's also a big part of why Ryan Tannehill is functioning. Like that offensive line has really transformed itself from one end of the year to the other. Now it's helped by the fact that Tannehill makes it look better than Mariota did, but it is dramatically transformed as well. So the other thing I wanted to mention here, I thought, again, I think Romo did a good job of highlighting this. The Titans said that they wanted to get Lamar moving laterally. Mm Mm-hmm. And I know that he ran for a sneaky 140 plus yards, right? A lot of that, a lot was, of that was garbage time. A lot of that was garbage time. But I thought they really did a good job of kind of slow playing it. It was almost like they were they were coming up to the flat and saying, I'm not going to be a part of that next highlight reel. I'm not the guy that's going to get juked and then he's going to get by me. They did a really good job of stringing things out, working inside and out, playing team defense, old school, um, you know, push them to the sideline and all that. So I thought they did a really nice job of limiting some of those plays and and making Lamar either hold the ball too long when he was throwing it or when he was running it, just kind of stringing him out to the sideline. They for like, this was the first game where Lamar kind of started to remind me of Barry Sanders though, in terms of just how much he terrifies people. It was a play early in yeah, the game they're all like, oh, well, where it was set up. He took it right. And then just reverse field. And you were like, yeah. Oh crap. Like, yeah. He's about to, he's about to take what was a busted play flip the field and run and make four people look ridiculous and take this a distance. Like there are certain players out there that just have the talent to terrify you. Even if you're doing a great job, your game plan is fantastic. You've got them bottled up. 
you're like one play away from him just doing something ridiculous and completely changing what's happening. So let's let's also avoid the whole like blueprint discussion because people are going to come out of this back. Well, there's the blueprint for stopping the Ravens. Just make Lamar sit in the pocket and beat you with the pass. I mean, teams have tried that throughout the throughout the year, though. The blueprint was put them in a hole. And all right. But that's that's not easy. That was my joking tweet that I kept retweeting the day before. I was like, all you need to do is create explosive plays. Get turnovers. Explosive plays. Stop them on fourth down. Win the turnover battle. It's ridiculous. That's it. Like I was talking to Eric a little bit after the game. And I was like, um, you know, the Ravens are now going to have this narrative of can win from behind. Right. Can't chase a game. The run and shoot always had this narrative of can't run the ball to see out a game, right? Yeah. Is is there a is there a system out there that's like good for all seasons, or does every offense that's really successful, you know, have some fatal flaw that if you put them in that situation, ultimately they can't get it done? But frankly, it might not matter. Like it, the problem with this one is it happened in this game, so it ended their season. If this happened in week two, who cares? Right. It's just, all right, that's the way the game went, right? They got in a hole, they couldn't dig it out, and, you know, shit happens. I think offenses have weaknesses, but, like, you know. Because this offense has been pretty dominant all season long. Absolutely. The way to beat it was this, but the problem is this is the first team that's been able to do it, and you needed quite a lot lot of luck to make that happen. But I said, like, week one, go back and watch week one against the Dolphins. As is, as... Jesus. Is that wind? It's just going past us. Is that, are we, are we getting bombed? Because I know we're in the bomb shelter. I mean, I don't right, know, this is the bomb shelter. That's quite a flimsy door out to the street. You want to be in there. Okay, you want to. Okay. So we're not that safe. Like, no. we'll know if something's going on out there. Yeah. Is that a tornado or a truck? I thought it was a truck, but it appears to be coming back. Awesome. Um, if you go back to week one, as, as badly as the Dolphins were playing early in the season, it really was like they spent the whole offseason saying, look, we're going to stop the run. We're going to contain Lamar. We're going to make him pass. And then they were just shocked. Because he just started hitting every pass. Right. Just started hitting every pass down the field. The blueprints to just make Lamar beat you from the pocket had been tried previously. Now, I still think it's the best way to do it. You would rather Lamar have to make 40 good decisions over and over and over again with his arm and throw the ball accurately. You would rather that. But to get, but the Ravens are so good at manufacturing. That's not the blueprint to win. That's just like the default game plan against Lamar, right? It's still the lesser of two evils. But as we've yes. seen all season long, it doesn't work. Now, this isn't even the first time that this specific sort of scenario has happened to them. Like the Browns did this to them in Week Four. Yeah, it, it, it can happen, right? But that doesn't mean like the thing is fundamentally flawed. Like the Browns did it to them in Week Four. They then crushed everybody. You just couldn't see it because that was so long ago, right? You like this is why you couldn't see it. And week after week, but also because they hit, right. they faced every challenge. It's all about recency bias and sample sizes. The Browns did it once. They then went and crushed everybody that's good in the league. After that, so you're like, oh well, it didn't didn't matter, right? Now it's the last thing you see, and it ended their playoff run. So it's everything. They don't get a chance to come back next week right. and crush. Whoever it is, they're going to like crush the Chiefs or like anybody, right? So we're like, well, this is this is the flaw. Like, this is how you beat them. You just have to force a bunch of turnovers, cause them to crap out on fourth down where they've been successful all season long, drop a bunch of passes, uh, and concede a couple of touchdowns to get down fourteen nothing early, and then you're home free. That's it, huh? So impressive out. Uh- effort like the absolute worst thing that the Ravens could do coming out of this game is to think they need to make fundamental significant changes in the offseason 
They just need to roll back in here yeah. like it's 2019 all over again and rerun it. And they got most of their team back and they're in, they're in good shape there. And like, I think they'll continue to evolve and find the edges and, and attack them. You took a bunch of crap for saying that Lamar didn't actually play that well. Uh, Gordon McGinnis took a bunch of crap for saying that if you ran this game back, like the Ravens probably win seven out of ten times. Yes. And that's I, how football that's works. That's absolutely true. Like the Ravens. They the, like the weight of crap that needed to go the other way for the Titans to win this game. Now, some of that was them playing well. Like, I'm not taking that away from them, but you also needed Baltimore to like drop a bunch of passes and, you know, sure. all that kind of stuff. So it's not I, so I don't want to say it's a lucky win because it wasn't right. They needed to do an awful lot to make that happen. But the win required a lot of luck to go that way. Well, that's I mean. People don't want to hear that. I mean, that'd be like saying, well, if the 07 Patriots <laughs> played the Giants 10 times, they probably do win seven or eight. Right. Like, not, we just yeah. happen to see the one. I mean, that's yeah. what happened. I'm just so. saying, be careful what you take out of the game. I'm not saying that you, you know, it doesn't change anything. The because Titans won, they move on. They have a very real chance of going to the Super Bowl and winning. Because I'll do anything to compare someone to the nine, my 96 Jags. 96 Jags. Which, by the way, I'm doing a little throwback podcast. You understand there's like nobody listening to this that even remembers no, they the remember. 96 Jags. The 90, well, then I have to explain what it was. Great. Mobile quarterback, Mark Brunel, led the league in passing yards, aerial attack with Jimmy Smith and Keenan McCardle, also led the league in rushing yards. You have a nice mobile quarterback like Ryan Tannehill. And then they got hot with Natron Means running through the Buffalo Bills and the, and the number one seeded Denver Broncos <laughs> led by John Elway. Right. Big upset in Denver. Nobody saw it coming. The parallels are unparalleled again. They were the number one seed that year as well. Denver? Yeah. Oh, yeah. They had like a three-year. I didn't realize it was like a three-year. Oh, it was dominance. Yeah. And and just to add to that, everybody's like, well, Denver really blew this. And then they won the next two Super Bowls. They were okay after that. So like the Ravens, it's going to be okay. Lamar's still like 15 years old. He's going to be okay. What you're saying is that the Jags ruined what would have been like one of the the great runs in NFL history. Like three, three Pete. Yeah. Well, I don't know if they would have beaten the Packers in the Super Bowl that year. They would have had to go into they, no, they would have hosted New England in the AFC Championship and then faced uh, Favre and the Packers. Right. You you ruined Elway Favre. Yeah, go Jags. Mark Brunel. Oh, man, Mark was great. Looking forward to discussing on that podcast. Oh yeah. A little throwback. I'm not on podcast. that one, right? No. Good. Someone else came up with the idea to do the throwback podcast. Yeah. Like old games. We'll I, get you on. No, I don't want to be on that one. All right, let's get to Sunday's action. Wow. Tell us about your shirt first. Oh, yeah. This is this is my nice white, shirt. white shirt. That you're not supposed to be wearing on camera because it glows. Does it look OK? I don't know. I broke the rules of TV because I love this white shirt. It fits so well. It's perfect. I got this one more to like wear with suits and everything. It's all from proper cloth, proper slash PFF. You're going to get 20 bucks off when you use the promo code PFF 20. We've had some images come in of people making their shirts. We appreciate that. We want more. Mm. send in images of the shirt that you made. I go with the nice, clean, plain white, and you go with whatever you go with. Seersucker, apparently. That's what that is, huh? I, yeah, I didn't know that was a thing until this. Well, I knew it was a thing. I didn't know that was the word for it. Um, someone, by the way, uh, mm. they tweeted me a picture of the Scorigami. Apparently, the the Houston-Kansas City game was a new, new Scorigami. Remember when I was like, what the hell? Yeah, Scorigami. Apparently, it's a thing. The Twitter account has like 111,000 followers. I know that. I was trying to tell you. A lot of weirdos out there. I was trying to tell you. Um, So, Sticks to the shirts. Okay. The the thing, you like the shirts, the fitting shirts so much that you Mm -hmm. order something essentially not to be worn where it's supposed to be on camera. 
But just to wear yourself. No, I needed like a good, yeah. clean white shirt for suits and for you know, you special like the occasions. You like so much that you're basically just ordering for the hell of it. Looking good. Not for not for the purpose that it's designed. That's how good these shirts are. That's a, that is. I know yeah. this is a this is a high class shirt that I'm going to be wearing like weddings and so I can wear it for anything. Right. Shirts start as low as eighty dollars. Proper cloth shirts come completely custom made for you, so that you're guaranteed to find a style that you love, whether it's this or seersucker. Quality that does not break the bank. Mm. That is what I love. So stop wearing shirts that don't fit the fact that at 6'10", 270 to 95 pounds, <laughs> I could find a shirt that fits. Yours doesn't have a cool uh, collar accent like mine. No, you're all, you're, all of yours have great collar and cuff accents. Mm-hmm. So start looking your best with a custom fitted shirt. Propercloth.com slash PFF. Use the promo code PFF20. $20 off your first shirt. See why Proper Cloth is the best custom shirt maker. Propercloth.com slash PFF. Now, into the madness. Now to the score, Gami. 51-31. The Chiefs over the Texans. The other parallel of a game here. Do you remember the Sunday Night Football Peyton Brady game? Yeah. Denver at yeah, yeah. New England? Uh-huh. It was 24 nothing, I believe. Denver in like 10 minutes. I mean, it was like almost immediately. There were fumbles. There were quirky plays. There was all this stuff. That New England eventually comes back. Denver fights back and it was eventually a New England win in overtime. But the point was it was immediately 24 to nothing and the Patriots worked back into the game. That's what this one felt like. Like everything went right. Right. And we, were like a few, we were like a few minutes into this game and I texted you like, come on, not again. Like this can't be happening twice. Yeah. Um, this was amazing. Like blocked upon multiple third down drops for the, the Chiefs. Um, like to good players, Travis Kelsey dropping the, you know, drop stone handed punt for a touchdown. Yes. Muffed punt inside the five, right? Yes, or inside Tyree the 10. Hill. Bad. So it's like, Oh, look, things, this, this went south quickly. We put Tyreek Hill back our best playmaker. Cause we need a spark from the pun return game. Muffs it spark. Um, and then, yeah. So there's like three score hole right off the bat immediately. And then the Texans, begin operation shoot ourselves in the foot fourth and one kind of you know pretty close to the chiefs uh to the chiefs line it's like we could we could properly put our foot it was 21 to nothing yes fourth and inches Mm -hmm. and this is what i'm i think the score where was the yard line it was pretty close to kansas city right yeah so this is like we can put our foot on the throat of the chiefs make this a four score game and properly kill it off, right? Instead, now nah, we just kick the field goal. Field goal's so, good. Field goal's good. Field goal make, makes it tricky. We keep going. But it was like, that is the classic, look, all the numbers say go for this. And they even, they threatened to. They like lined up and I was like, oh, no, 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 we'll pull back. And they said on, like they were trying, they were kind of trying to make excuses for it on the broadcast. They're like, I don't know if there was a lineman supposed to be out there that, you know, they couldn't get the right, but like something happened. But it looked like they basically just chickened out of it. They're like, no, we can't. That's what, so we're hearing all these stories about the Browns. Kevin Stefanski, he's got to meet. I, forget the owner meetings <laughs> for a minute. I have no idea what the, hour Monday what the proper, proper protocol is for owner coach meetings. Like PFF has outlawed those meetings, right? This idea of multiple hours on a Monday. Since everybody in this building is too busy for that crap. Football Monday. Right. Yeah. They're, so, they're an actual football team and they have to go through that. Listen, what I'm saying is. Kevin Stefanski, the new Browns coach, part of the requirement is like analytics meetings on Friday and this and that. And for some reason, it's being and a guy in his headset. Yes. Well, yeah, which is during the game. Which so that's is what I'm saying. One which of the is things, the way to do it, which yeah. is smart. You should. 
if you're ever burning a timeout on fourth down or unsure of whether or not you should go for it on fourth down, then you're unprepared. Well, look, at the you should very, never be unprepared yes. for that situation. It is not even if it's a decision by your gut, your gut is informed right. by something you've done in preparation. But the key is you need to have the information right at the very minimum. He has a guy now who has access to his headset in the game to be able to come on and say, the numbers say absolutely freaking go for this. 80%, whatever, you know, this is a hundred percent go for it situation. Bill, like Bill O'Brien elected not to go for this. And for all we know, had no idea what the numbers say, right? Is just working from gut feel the whole way. Had no clue that the numbers say go for this every time. So at the very minimum, it is 100% right that the guy be informed by this, whether you go for it or not. Like, I, you know, you're the At least coach. no. If you want to say, you know what, there's certain other things I'm going to factor into this. I'm going to ignore the numbers. That's fine. But you need to know what they are. And I'm not saying you need to do the research, but you need to have a guy in your ear who's capable of coming in and saying, dude, the numbers say go for it. So a big part of why you want to go for it, I can't say it was the 15 yard line. It was inside the 20, yeah. right? It was an easy, it's a chip shot field goal. So you're almost guaranteed a three. But the reason why you go for it is as much of if you fail, the field position aspect still, of it is yeah. still favorable, right? So after they kick the field goal, the ensuing kickoff gets returned into Houston territory. So you immediately lost the advantage mm-hmm. that you had, right? Except you had three points. Right. And as much as... But but here's the mistake, right? Is when you're sitting there, you're up 21 nothing, and you're like, well, I'm going to make it a four-score game. Or it's still three scores. It's still three times eight and all that stuff. Right. But, you know, they might play it like a four. There's like 10 minutes left in the second quarter. Your goal should be to maximize points until you start to play possession math and all that stuff and it's like well they only have time for two more possessions or they only have time for three more possessions and if i make it 24 they have to go six two six two six two you know they have to they have to hit two three two point two point conversions then maybe you think about it a little bit more but it was also there's a difference and i think you know our friend pete prisco mentioned him again was like you spreadsheet nerds haven't studied the differences in fourth and one and people actually have Fourth and inches versus fourth and like a long right. one. It's even the numbers are even more in its favor than they would be just saying all fourth and ones. If it's a long one, that's different. Right. It was fourth and inches. It's literally just fall forward and you still have the ball. Worst case scenario, you're still probably kicking the field goal with a lot more time off the clock and all that fun stuff. But there's a chance at a touchdown. That's why it's all worth it. So the other thing is I'm going to try and kind of plot a an uncharted course between analytics numbers and gut feel stuff that doesn't actually register in math. Um, I th- there's a significant difference between just putting a field goal on the board there and making it four touchdowns. Like the chiefs, they were kind of um, floundering at that point, right? They had had those third down drops. Like this, had, this was getting away from them in a hurry. And as much as it sounds ridiculous to say, given how we saw them come back, like they were kind of on the brink there. If you put another touchdown on the board and then, you know, kicked it back to them, like it's a, the Chiefs would have been absolutely elated that they did not go for it there because suddenly they have a glimmer of hope. They run back the kickoff into the territory and now think now we're in moving. Now we've actually got we got the ball. We can score. We can make it, you know, a two touchdown uh, game if we get the two. So it's a, it completely changes it. Like then this was just like act one of a three act series from Bill O'Brien, um, a, a tragedy, a Shakespearean comedy in fact uh, about how to butcher fourth down in this game 
So seemingly as like a reaction to basically chickening out of taking the fourth and inches and really stamping on the Chiefs when he had them down. They then decide to run a fake punt deep inside their own territory from like fourth and three, fourth and four. Um, it gets the guy, the fake runner, one-on-one with uh, Daniel Sorensen, who makes the tackle. It was Justin Reed running, which I heard was it Tony said, well, it's a good play call. You got you got the one-on-one you want. Yeah. The guy running the ball is a safety, though. And the other guy, the guy tackling is... A tackler. Right. Like a dime, <laughs> a dime linebacker, right. right? A guy who's designed to tackle in space. Right. So, okay, sure. You did manufacture a one-on-one. On the other hand, you set up a play where in order to get a first down conversion, you needed a guy that doesn't carry the ball to beat a guy that's used to tackling in space. Otherwise you give the chiefs the ball back in your territory, having just let this start to slip away. So it's like you take the original decision to make a mess of it. And you amplify it by like taking the momentum. I know a lot of people don't like that, but you take the momentum that you've just given Kansas City by like like opening the door for them, leaving it ajar, and now you give them the ball back in your territory again. Well, yeah, that's the bigger issue than the momentum, Sam. What's the field position? Well, that's what I mean. But you're just you're magnifying what you've just yeah. given them. You, you've given them an opportunity. Then late in the game, right? So the whole, this is. You basically started this whole thing, right? Mm-hmm. Now the Chiefs are coming back like a fire. They put up an endless amount of points. Now you're in a hole late in the game. Down 17, 11 minutes to go, fourth and four. You, that's, to me, that's the biggest Deshaun Watson Down had 17. To, Deshaun Watson had to convince Bill O'Brien not to punt the ball. He had to go to the sideline and be like, dude, what the... F- what are you even talking about? Of course we're going for it. But this is like 17 with 11 minutes on the clock. Forget the preparation aspect of like, here's the score and here's the situation. Monday morning, the first thing should be like, guys, we're playing Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs. Listen, punter. I don't know. You, I don't even know the punter's name in Houston because I don't pay attention and I don't care. <laughs> How hard could it be? <laughs> You're not working Sunday. We're facing Patrick Mahomes. We're not punting. Sorry, it's got to be fourth and 15 or something like that. Like, we're not. We have to score points. We have to keep them off the scoreboard. Unless you do get that perfect game flow. Unless you get that perfect game flow where it is that whole, like, we're getting five yards of pop and keeping them off the field. But even then, they, they scored three touchdowns in, like, four minutes or something, right? And that's not out of the realm of possibility any week with the Chiefs. Like, just kick team. Stay home. I mean, we're going to be aggressive. We're look, going. There are times where you're going to punt the ball. I'm just, look, no, it, you're down never. 17 now, right? The, the game is completely transformed. You're in a hole. There's 11 minutes left. I honestly don't know that NFL play callers have calculated the change in the probability of receiving an onside, recovering an onside kick since they made the rule changes. Yeah. I think they still like, well, we're okay. We'll punt it away. They'll score again. And now we'll need, now we're down you know, it's Brian Anger. My apologies to Brian, former third round. Now we're down 24. So, you know, a couple of quick scores. We'll get the ball back on the like, what are you talking about? You're down 17 with 11 minutes left. You don't have time to give them the ball back, even yeah. if they're not going to score. Right. You don't have time. And you need touchdowns, not field goals. Right. And of course, you know, they get talked into going for it and they get it. But like this was an, an amazing sequence of fourth down ineptitude that swung this game completely back. Now, then the other side of this you have to talk about is 
Oh my God, the Chiefs offense is insane. Yeah. So that, that was my takeaway that, you know, was on PFF.com was more so that if you look at like the biggest mismatches of the weekend, you have the Niners defensive line going against the Vikings offensive line. Then there's this one all season. Houston secondary is the biggest question. Them and Watson, right? It's like, what are you going to get from Watson? What are you going to get from Houston secondary? Can they just like be in position enough to not get torched? And it was just, it was a mismatch. I, it was funny because I didn't think that the like the game plan wasn't terrible. It's like, all right, we're going to we're going to we're going to play man coverage. We're going to make them work for it. We got Lonnie Johnson, big bodied rookie. He's going to cover Travis Kelsey. Great on paper. I got the six four corner. His job is to be the tight end eraser. Instead, Kelsey catches all eight targets against him. Multiple touchdowns. I mean, it's just it's really tough to stop this Chiefs offense. And it was the big one of the biggest mismatches of the weekend. The Chiefs have. Maybe the best passing offense in the NFL, right? And the Texans were number 23 in EPA against from a defensive pass game standpoint. Like this was just a mismatch waiting to happen. And that's why forget the craziness that happened. It was unlikely that they were going to have more muffed punts and drop passes and all that stuff. Just like over time, like the Chiefs were just going to be better and blow them out. Right. I mean, remember the idea that, you know, Patrick Mahomes hasn't been quite the same guy this year. And as we said, look, the guy's been dealing with a whole list of injuries and the week off was probably huge for them. Patrick Mahomes looks like MVP Patrick Mahomes again, yeah. at which point you're back to, oh, crap. How do we stop that? There's there's another thing that reminds me, like, you know, how like Russell Wilson for like nine years has been setting up the QB keeper. Yeah. Right. It feels like, dude, you could probably steal like 70 yards per game if you just kept a few. Mm-hmm. It's what I felt with Mahomes when teams play man coverage. Like, dude, you're just going to start scrambling and picking up 20 at a time. And he started doing that this year. And that was this game, too. Like, it's just smart. And it's it, I feel like Lamar's been sitting on this trump card, too. Lamar doesn't love to scramble. But at some point, when you take everything away, he can. Mahomes has that. And he was showing that yesterday. Like, sure, I'll pick up 15 or 20 yards if you're going to give it to oh, me. Yeah. So that hurts the blueprint, so to speak. Would you love to play tight man coverage? Would you love to double Tyree kill and Travis Kelsey? Okay. By the way, Patrick Mahomes is going to take 15 or 20 yards when you do that. So it doesn't matter. So that makes the chiefs even more difficult to defend when he's doing that. Yes. Um, another thing that was huge in this game is, you know, JJ Watt coming back leads the Texans and pressures. Mitchell Schwartz owned him. Like, JJ Watt got shut down earlier in the season by Ryan Ramchek, and this game he got shut down by Mitchell Schwartz. Um, Basically, was almost entirely anonymous in the entire game. Had the batted pass, but like Schwartz eliminating Watt as a threat to you know affect this game with pass rush was a big part of this win. So I also I know that you know us and other folks get a little snarky on Twitter and all that stuff. So the night after, the analytics died, right? The day. Power football the died with Derrick Henry. Do, 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 do. It was just like hard nosed. Screw you, Bye. spreadsheet folks. We fought back. Our guy George was fighting back the entire time, tracking how many running back rushing yards the Chiefs had while putting up X number of unanswered points. A million points. They were at like thirty one points with one rushing yard from from a running back. I mean, look, it's extreme. It's the best passing attack. In the NFL, but it was just making the point like nobody's begging the Chiefs to establish the run. Hmm. So it should be a, it'll be a fun matchup next week. Um, here's the difference, I think, with the Texans and what Tennessee is going to trot out there. Tennessee, I keep using the word capable because they have a Dory Jackson. They have Tremaine 
Brock playing right. out of his skull right now, replacing Malcolm Butler. And then they have Logan Ryan in the slot. They've and all those guys graded 70 plus in coverage the other night and everything. They all they can play some sticky coverage. They can at least make things a little bit tighter. Whereas I think the Texans, Gary and Conley has been up and down. Lonnie Johnson, I just don't trust in general. He's struggled as a rookie. Bradley Roby, Vernon Hargraves just never really played well. He made like three plays. I was like, maybe he's having the Tannehill breakout five years into his career. But mm-hmm. no, it's not happening. Um, how about that Gary, uh, Gary and Conley stat that was tweeted at us? Did you see that? That he's been respond or he's been on the field for like eight. Mahomes yeah. touchdowns this year. Patrick Mahomes threw for four touchdowns against the Raiders in the second quarter. Yeah. What week two, three, whatever it was earlier in the year. Gary and Conley was a Raider. Yesterday, Mahomes throws for four touchdowns in the second quarter against Conley's Texans. Yeah. So in the second quarters against Mahomes, Conley has been on the field for eight touchdowns. That was incredible. Yeah, that's pretty impressive. They're not all him. No. None of them were on him, but still, it was pretty funny. Mahomes ends up with five touchdowns. Our friend Mike Adams, same age, 57.7 grade, gave up one of those touchdowns biting on the flat. I mean, this was the Chiefs offense where who do you defend? And they're just going for the kill shot, man. I mean, you're watching that. You're not questioning, oh, man, they're going to have to come out of their offense because they're down 24. They always play like they're chasing 24. That's the the point of maximizing points. That's the thing when your offense is, is built like this is that it doesn't matter. Whether you get down like the Ravens, when you put them in a big hole, it fundamentally changes what they do on offense. The Chiefs play like this anyway. So all you're doing is just turning the game into a shootout, which they like because this is how they play. So the Texans, I mean, I saw, damn it, who was it that tweeted this this morning? They basically, you know, likened it to you took a stick to a hornet's nest and then the hornets came out and stung the living crap out of you. And that's what happened. Um, and and kind of is right. You you got this massive advantage. You fundamentally failed to press at home multiple different ways. You chickened out of the first fourth down. You exacerbated that by making a balls of the second one. And now you just the Chiefs storm right back and stomp all over you. So the two takeaways from this for me are, you know, these fourth down decisions are critical game changing calls from head coaches. And at the very minimum, you need to be informed about what it is you're doing. And the second one is, oh my God, the Chiefs' offense is terrifying. Uh, I want so the other here's the other piece of it, right? I was tweeting yesterday. There was a point where the Texans were up 21, 24, 21, right? And it felt like okay, the game's settled in now, right? Because the Chiefs got some breaks too. They had they had the fake the the fake punt that we talked about, right? That gave them short field. Mm-hmm. Then they got the uh, kickoff return. So the, the Chiefs' offense, as unstoppable as they were, were working off of short fields. They didn't really have to drive the whole field. Well, they got they then got their own um, turnover on the special teams. Well, that's what I mean. That's what I mean. The Chiefs were getting the short fields offensively, and that's what got them back in. It wasn't like they were driving 80 yards over and over and over again. They were driving like 15, 40, right? So it's 24-21, and I, I said, look, it's still going to come down to Watson versus Mahomes, right? This is what we thought coming in. These guys got to make great plays. There's still something lacking with Watson. He ended up with an average grade. He was he was given we we gave him seven out of the 18 pressures that were allotted to Texans two out of the th- uh, three sacks that were given. I mean, he was just talked about Lamar trying to do too much on Saturday night. You s- started to see that a little bit with Watson, but that's not that's not like game flow dictating it. It's just kind of like how Watson plays. It's the hero ball stuff. Sometimes it's great and he's looks like he's carrying a team. Other times it's it's not. 
I just think Watson, I don't know if the perception is that he's in this Mahomes top tier category, but I think he's clearly just a step behind right now in his in his development. I think you have to lean into that, though. You have to lean into this idea that this guy does seem to be better when he's the one doing everything. Like If he's playing hero ball, you might as well embrace it and help him out by at least giving him the opportunities. When they went, when he eventually convinced him to go for the fourth and four, he converted it, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, look. I mean, so give him the fourth more- inches. Like, let, accept the fact that your best chance to win this game is Deshaun Watson uh, taking advantage of the fact that you just got him like a free 21 slash 28 point lead right off the bat. There's and more good than it. bad with Watson. All I'm saying is I think like with Mahomes last year, the biggest, the biggest compliment I wanted to give him wasn't the, wasn't the incredible plays. It was just that he worked within the system a little bit better. Didn't take a ton of sacks and and found the open guy more often. I feel like we might be asking ourselves, can Watson take that next step until he does like for the next couple of years? Are we going to be, I'm not going to predict it. I'm just going to say, are we going to be asking ourselves, can Watson take that next step? Right. And cut down on the sacks take some easier throws, read it out, beat the blitz, all that stuff a little bit more efficiently. Because right now, I think he's just in in a second tier of quarterback, not that top tier, despite some MVP hype this year. Fair? Okay. Let's get to the last of the Sunday action. Yeah. Did you guys get your proper clock shirt yet? PFF20, properclock.com slash PFF. Mm 28-23, Packers over the Seahawks. This is just like a routine good game. So it felt like a letdown after the other two. <laughs> kind of expected. I, I didn't expect the Packers to get out to the, as big of a, well, I didn't expect them to get out to that big lead, but it was kind of in line with how they played. The difference was they didn't, they didn't completely let up in the second half. We've seen a lot of times this year where the offense for Green Bay looks good in the first half. They don't really make a ton of adjustments, but old school Aaron Rodgers did show up. You were right. right again. I know. I was going to say that. Like just wow. after saying that that guy is probably never coming back again. And kind of mocking people for saying the playoffs feel feels like the, the time he'd show up. He showed up in the playoffs. You're lucky your job isn't predicated on being right because there'll be more people calling for your job in the YouTube comments again. I mean, I think they do that anyway, regardless of whether you're right or wrong. Yeah. Um, it was interesting. So right at the start of the game, you know, it's Lambo, it's snowy, it's playoff football. It's what it should look like. And um, you see Rogers out there kind of now looking like the grizzled old veteran that Brett Favre was. To I know, right? It's, it's like, funny. Wow, yeah. this is this is really come full circle again. Right. Um, and then, yeah, Rodgers goes out there, has amongst his best games. Now, even compared with the old elite or very best Aaron Rodgers, like his ball location was off on almost everything. But this time they're getting there. And, you know, he relied on some, yeah, like making some plays, the big Devante Adams, like a little high. I was wide open. It was a little high and Devante. So many of these crossers as well. Like he, uh, Geronimo Allison bailed him out in one that was kind of low and ugly. Even the, the tail end third down conversion to Jimmy Graham to ice the game. That was a hell of a catch down by his I thought it was a, so yeah, I thought it was low. I I tweeted nice job. It was low. Like it was kind of like thigh high, but it wasn't, I liked that it kept him in stride, but it was like a little low. That was a lot low. It wasn't that, that low. No, when it was. I looked at it. That required a lot. Like when you're running full speed across the field, the the level that you can put that no, low I understand. to cause the, di- the guy to move is different to when you're just standing there. The dime was the the slot fade. Yeah. Devontae so he had some beautiful ones in there yeah. as well. But like, you know, old Aaron Rodgers had perfect ball location, in almost everything. This guy was at least getting the ball where it needed to go, particularly on third downs, which is where he killed him. 
Um, Packers fans are on edge. Can you stop triggering them? Not triggering They're anybody. They're on edge. Just saying, even though he got the ball where it was supposed to be. You said Aaron's not perfect. The ball location was iffy, and did, he, rel- he needed a bit of help. That's all I'm saying. Did not throw an incompletion beyond 10 yards, and I think the biggest story of this game, no answer for Devontae Adams. Yeah. I mean, it was like, if it was man, right at the Packers too, it wasn't, it wasn't pure like, Hey, let's just beat man coverage. He beat man coverage outside. He beat man coverage in the slot. They found him wide open in a zone. They got him off an RPO where the backer has to respect the run. There was different ways that they got him open as well. I think they did have an answer to him. The answer was Shaquille Griffin, but the problem is the Seahawks run. They don't change. They're one of these teams that, you know, the one under the scale, you got the Patriots, right? Who we adapt to what you do well, and that's how we try and stop you. At the other end of the spectrum, you've got the Seahawks, which is we do X and Y, and we will do X and Y regardless of how effective it is against you, because that's what we do. Yeah. And we will try and execute it better. And that's how we'll win, which is okay. I, now, it would seem to me as an outsider looking in that that's a fundamentally worse way of doing it. But that's the way they do it, and they've been quite successful over the years. So who am I to question it? I get the reasoning. My but. point was simply that they had a guy in Shaquille Griffin who was actually defending Adams pretty well. But Shaquille Griffin lines up at left cornerback every single play. Right. So if you notice that as the Packers, and you want to go, you know what, how do we, how do we avoid that? You can dictate the match. Well, let's just move yeah. him somewhere else. Let's move him over to the left. Well, let's put him in the slot, because he's not going to come with him. So now we'll win. So that's all they did. They just moved Devontae Adams into different alignments. Griffin didn't follow, and he beat everybody else. The Packers, I thought, did a good job of just like stealing offense. Like Tyler Irvin, 2016, fourth-round running back. He's played about 200 snaps in his career. And he's a guy that they're lining up at receiver and giving him jet sweeps and end around. Like they're giving him opportunities. So they manufactured a little bit of offense. I thought they did a decent job. Like Jimmy Graham is just slow right but they were i thought seattle did a bad job i can't tell if it was green bay doing a good job or seattle doing a bad job they'd motion graham give him an alignment and he'd have a step just based off alignment and he would just you know run his slow crosser and have a step just based off alignment so i thought green bay outside of Devonte adams just taking over the game still manufactured enough offense it manufactured a crossing route here and there not that there was an earlier one that was a key as rogers was Lights out on third down, and um, it was just one of those games where it, everything, a lot of things went right for Green Bay offensively, where they just kept finding the open man, and um, Devontae dominated. Another example of the old, you know, this is what we do, and this is all we do. Um, they run base defense more than anybody else in the NFL, and not just more than anybody else, but like a factor higher than anybody else. Yeah. Like, Everybody else, base defense is essentially nickel, right? Because they're running nickel more often than they're running base by like two to one. The Seahawks are the other way and then some, right? They run base still 75% of the time or something ridiculous. They basically went, they basically act like, oh, look, our third linebacker is our nickel. And it, there's, there's a certain degree of logic to that when it's a specific player, right? We think this guy is so good in coverage as our third linebacker that he is our, our nickel defensive back. Like He's that good. We don't have to. Go and to if nickel. you're in a zone heavy scheme, it's not the worst thing in the world. There's at least logic to it right, right now when that guy goes down and instead 
you have to bring in Cody Barton and you don't change anything. Just like, no, he can be the third guy. Yeah. He's, he's our nickelback. What? What the hell are you talking about? They're going to line up Devontae Adams in the slot. And well, you're saying fair, he's going to cover him? They put Ugo Amati on him in the slot. You know, one of his 11 snaps well, was everyone. crunch time well, against Adams. My and- point is, you know, <laughs> you can't just like it didn't make that much sense when you were trying to claim that just, you know, it was all because your third linebacker has amazing coverage skills. It makes no sense when you have to go to the backup and it's like, no, he'll just he'll just be the nickel. Like we've been talking <sighs> yeah. about how boned the Vikings were because they're paying a third safety as nickel because they don't have any slot corners. The Seahawks are doing that voluntarily with a linebacker. Yeah, not great. The other side, the Russell Wilson show, I thought he did, you know, missed a couple throws early, but I thought he did a great job keeping the minute. Um, you know, he's got the same dynamic as Watson. Yeah. Right? They, they all, I mean, yeah, this hero ball, it's all on me. I saw um, there's a, it was a Facebook account, I think, NFL Ireland, right? It's one of these kind of jokey ones that yeah. likes a lot of memes and stuff. And it was like, here's a picture of the, the, full, the full Seattle Seahawks roster. And it was just Russell Wilson. Just his headshot. It's funny because he's the only guy. Right. Yeah. I think some of that's a little overblown, but he was pretty awesome overall. I mean, so when you talk about like putting him in position to succeed, there are people around the league, right? Who think if you put too much on his plate, including people in his own building, perhaps if you put too much on his plate, more that not necessarily more bad will happen, but they just, you know, don't, don't, don't know if you could handle it because he does take too many sacks, right? Takes too many hits. So part of it's this, like, we got to protect, protect our franchise, right? But there's got to be some other balance between run, run, pass, run, run, pass that the Seahawks are implementing. All of that, to be fair, Wilson's biggest strength is pushing the ball down the field. And they do run a lot of that. They run a lot of deep, crossers and posts and post corners and all these routes that are really conducive to Russell Wilson's downfield passing. The question is, can you replace some of those runs with letting him drop back, run more quick game, run more intermediate stuff, knowing that a few times he's going to take two, he's going to take a sack when he shouldn't, he's going to get you guys off schedule, but he's also going to still create some of those big plays that he creates in the fourth quarter when it's all on him. I mean, there's that delicate balance at this point. I don't even think it's necessarily a balance. Like I think, yes, Russell Wilson takes some sacks that he shouldn't, but the, the, uh, the scales in terms of good versus bad with him doing that is it's not even in the ballpark anymore. Like he, ta- he took, we charged him specifically for 12 sets, 13 sacks, sorry, um, during the regular season this year, right? Which is, you know, reasonable amount. But four other quarterbacks had more. Um, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven more had double digit. Right. So, like, he doesn't take, like, he took three more sacks. They're still beyond charged. that. There's still, like, pressure dropbacks sure. that end up in sacks and all that. Yeah, but. there's, I mean, he's way more precious. But he took three more sacks that we charged to him than Matt Ryan did, right? Yeah. Immobile. Ryan had a bad year. Right. Immobile, bad year, pocket passing statue, Matt Ryan, right? Now, the flip side of that is how many plays last night did a Packers defender have him dead to rights in the pocket? And he makes just like a weird, like double hitch step thing, and the guy just falls over and he steps past him. Really good at that. The guy is a freaking magician doing that stuff. So, frankly, if it gets, look, let's say, you want him taking as few as 
Uh, pick a quarterback. Who do you think has so, the bigger problem? Is the total there. sack numbers, though, where he gets sacked forty. But his plus offensive line is get, garbage. So he's yeah, gonna, but he's, he's inviting the pressure a lot. But that's a big. He's a big part of that too. You control your pressure rate because if if you run more quick game, you'll cut down on that as a percentage. You control your pressure rate, but at some point, if your line is bad and his line has been bad basically for his entire tenure, you're gonna, and he's made it look worse at the same get time. Sacked a lot. So he doesn't take that much pressure compared with, you know, A, other quarterbacks in the NFL, and B, guys that don't have the... Look, Tom Brady, he basically took double the amount of pressure that Tom Brady was individually responsible for, right? In terms of us charging it. Now, his pressure rate will be higher than Brady's because there's plays where he didn't directly cause it, but his, his, him holding on the ball longer was part of the problem. But, like, double the amount... How many plays... So let's say there's... 16, 17 plays in the season where he caused pressure because of what he's doing. How many more where he did something freaky to get out of pressure to make a crazy play? Oh, I get it. Like it's, I want more of those plays. Yeah, and I, think there, I think there's way more of them than there are bad to the point where that shouldn't be a reason to restrict it. I, but I also, I also don't think he's on an island. Like Tyler Lockett's awesome. DK Metcalf is fantastic at what he does and a perfect fit with Russell Wilson. They could add more playmakers around that. Like if they did have a legit, you know, Jake, Jacob Hollister showed flashes, whatever. But I mean, if they did have like a legit big bodied middle of the field tight end, which isn't really Russell Wilson's game, but you could steal some some yards there. They could do a better job of building that around him. Lockett's catch on the free play while getting blasted in the face was pretty amazing. That was great. I mean, so th- they've got. And plus those guys, like Tyler Lockett, was that offensive pass interference when he threw Jair? He kind of threw Jair no. off, to the ground, off to the side. It was close. But no. my point is they're, they're good at uncovering, late, working with Wilson. Like they've got a good rapport with the receivers. Um, but, you know, Wilson put a lot on his shoulders and nearly led the comeback. You wanted that called offensive pass interference? It was close. You're out of your freaking mind. Jair was Jair held, had his hands on him, which was legal because yeah, Wilson both was like out of fighting. the pocket. It's a scramble drill. Dreyer's trying to grab. He was more hold tripped than anything. He kind of tossed him. Plaster trying to grab hold of him, and instead, Tyler Lockett just like tossed him to the side. Says none, none, no. Yeah, and gets open. Like frankly, if you can't, like that's we're at the moment where the scramble drill starts. It's like, look, we're both saying to hell with the rules, and I'm grabbing you, and you're trying to get out of it, and you won. You can't go. Oh, it's off end of pass interference now. No, you just got owned. Okay. It was close. No, no, it wasn't. It was a little, it was a little throw, a little tug. Yeah. He just lost, lost bad. So I think at a macro level, the Seahawks did overachieve this year because they did take the ball out of Russell Wilson's hands, probably more than they should have. And defensively, never really anything special, despite some decent performances down the stretch, which of course are driven by the offense. <laughs> They're in in an interesting spot now because a lot of the problems we thought they had coming into last year or this year still kind of exist. Um, and they, they have this attitude of, you know, we have our system, we don't change it, and we just want to be better than you. Now, I don't know, the league's trending in the other direction. Are you, what are you going to do? Are you going to fight the, fight the flow of water coming in your direction or are you going to adjust my my bigger question is can you evaluate you already say people don't know what happened in a winner or a loss right last year at this time seattle loses to the cowboys in the wild card round after going run run pass run run pass run run pass the entire game russell wilson plays a spectacular game in defeat 
and the response was, we just didn't run the ball enough. <laughs> Are they going to come out of this game and be like, well, of course we didn't win. Marshawn Lynch only had 12 carries. Travis Homer only had three carries. Chris Carr, we, we were hurt. We were injured. We had to come out of our game plan. We didn't have our running backs. We're going to come back even stronger next year with even more running backs and 35 carries. I put it to game. you that Marshawn Lynch carried the ball 12 times and scored twice. If you, he did score twice. If yes. you gave him Touchdown. three times the carries, you have six touchdowns. You'd have had six touchdowns. You'd have won the game. But there's people doing that math in buildings right now. Like, man, if we just doubled our carries, give Marshawn a few more touches to get going, wear down the defense would be okay. Mm. Marshawn has to work really hard to pick up three yards. <laughs> Russell picks up forty in a in a blink. Yeah. So. It depends on how they uh, evaluate things going forward. Let's look at the Packers. We'll talk, obviously, in detail about the 49ers matchup next week. But I think the Packers, uh, defensively, they did get uh, the the sacks on Russell Wilson. Two from Preston Smith, two from Zedarius, one from Kenny Clark. They schemed it open a little bit. They schemed some unblocked pressure. They had the sack on the two-point conversion, which was huge, um, but also just took advantage of the fact that Russell's holding on to the ball. Quite a bit. Somebody blew the protection on that, right? On the two-point conversion? Yeah. So all I did was put a screenshot of Marshawn Lynch going like this. Right, head in his hands. Right. And I put zero caption to it. (laughs) I didn't even try to imply that it was his fault or anything. It's more like, here's this guy saying, oh my gosh, I just saw this dude run by me and he's going to kill Russell Wilson. Yeah. I do think it was Marshawn's protection to scan. One of him or whoever was the right tackle. Because somebody somebody threw an insulting word my way. Huh for saying that he had to carry out the play action fake, which the play action fake from no. Wilson was like, <laughs> was like the token. Like, but also this people, is what I would yeah. do if I'm quarterback. I have a straight drop back. I would just like hold the ball here. You don't just in case. Yeah. Also you don't. And you also don't have to carry right. out the play action fake. Like in theory, you run your play action fake. Then you pick up. I think Lynch it. had the scan. And then, you know, some of the smart football folks were saying, I wonder if that was a read. And that was, a, that's a fair question because you had a tight end to that side. Uh, nub tight end as they say so there's no receiver and that was Jair right off the yeah. edge and that was Jair had no receiver to cover right. and that could have easily just been a schematic adjustment where it's like I got nobody to cover tight ends accounted yeah. for I'm, I'm I'm blitzing but in terms like the expectation for a running back is when if you read a guy coming faster than you're going to be able to get if you abort. run your play action fake abort immediately oh, yeah to forget the feckin play action fake it's irrelevant like right you need to pick up the guy and stop him killing your quarterback. The fact that the linebacker didn't move a step forward because you didn't execute your fake fully is irrelevant at that point. Looks like the grades are headed to the site, too. So if you guys are listening live, you have premium stats 2.0, all a part of your PFF Elite package. The Packers and Seahawks games are officially or their grades are officially reviewed and up on the site. Aaron Rodgers with a 92.8. Grade Kenny Clark. Kenny Clark is pretty freaking amazing as well. Yeah, we so we asked this question last week in one of our two minute drill questions. Um, like, who is the best interior defender in the NFL? Not named Aaron Donald, right? And you've got you know Chris Jones, Fletcher Cox. Kenny Clark is right up there in that. Absolutely, Kenny Clark reminds me of was it um, Marcel Darius? Maybe at his peak. Where there was always like this one or there was always like one or two nose tackles that was creating pressure at a rate that nose tackles shouldn't create pressure. Uh, Brandon Meebane had like one year of it. Marcel Darius had a run. Linval Joseph had a run. 
But Kenny Clark has kind of become like that guy. It's like you're in this run stopping position where, wow, you can get after the quarterback at a pretty high rate. Kenny Clark's been fantastic. Right. But most of those guys were just sort of able to generate a bit of pressure and, and push the pocket from a kind of a conventional enough nose tackle alignment from right? base and all that. stuff. Right. Whereas Kenny Clark has become so good that they're able to move him to three tech. Like they move him to a three technique pass rushing alignment. Oh, right. He can, he can line up anyway. Right. In their sub packages and he gets pressure that way. So it's not, not, it's not just that he's like getting really good pressure from nose tackle. Like they move him to three tech and he's dominant. He's basically dominant at two different positions. It's yeah. like at the same time, which is, I mean, that doesn't happen often at all. When was the last nose tackle that was legitimately versatile enough to also be three tech? Not many. I, mean, I, I, I got to go back and read my scouting report on Clark because I wrote it up and I remember thinking this guy could line up anywhere along the defensive front. I wasn't expecting him to play nose tackle at the next level. I mean, I think I expected him to be more of a three or a five and Who, move about a little bit. Um, Dallas nose tackle that was always undersized. Uh, I, I, damn it. What was his name? Ben? Ben, ben. type it to us. He'll remember. I'll get it. Let Who me, are you thinking of? Give me a moment. Anyway, Kenny Clark has been fantastic. The Packers... We got two rematches in the championship games. So we have the Packers who got wrecked by the 49ers. Jay Ratcliffe. The, oh, yeah, yeah. Ratliff, right? Yes, Ratliff. Ratcliffe. Yeah. Jay Ratliff. Oh, he was fantastic. Yeah. Classic always an undersized, undersized yeah. like one, one gap kind of nose tackle. So Kenny Clark, Ratcliffe could have played three tech. Ratliff, damn it. Ratliff could have played three tech and been fine. So there you go. That's, that's the last one. There you go. Well, good weekend of action, man. It was crazy. I think we'll have some good championship games next week as well, hopefully. Um, and then we'll get in. We've got to get into some offseason stuff. It's almost like we're going to do some free agency. We're going to do some team building discussions. What should your team do? We're going to start studying a little bit more on the draft prospects and all. Like we got a lot to lot to come here in the offseason, but also want to hear some ideas from the fans. What else? What do you guys want to hear? Mm. What do you want to hear from us? And don't Any forget ideas and topics. Bribes for me to jinx your team bribe sam jinx the team that you want to be jinxed by saying i can't see any possible way we have awards season team awards X discussion win. we got a lot coming up to you so bribe sam who do you want like you're, you're gonna say the, you can't see any way that the packers i'm prepared to tell you Niners. that i can't see any way that any of the four teams remaining can win the game if the bribe is good enough depends on what's coming in here doesn't have to be bunny either like you get a lot of gifts i've noticed you just have like the gold football and you get paintings from, you get a lot of gifts floating through the office here from people. We'll take gifts. I mean, I don't think that to me. I just. Oh, you end up stealing them? Well, the gold football came in. Somebody kneeled, sitting on your desk it my way. I was like, hey, look what the NFL sent us. Oh, it's sitting on your desk. Right? I just thought it would be cool to bring in, stick it in the podcast. You put it on your desk now as a prop. I didn't put it on my desk. Stuff seems to gravitate to my desk. The mm-hmm. other, the little X's and O's one that Zach had is sitting on my desk now. Interesting. I don't like, so I can't, the, the gold one is it's too slippery. I can't throw that thing. Can't get a grip. Ben was too busy to answer my question. Yeah. That's he's exactly. referring to uh, an offensive line coach's notes as he's looking through some grades right now. It's good. It's too good for us. All right, guys, that'll do it for the Monday episode. Divisional round recap. Mm-hmm. Championship week. We'll be back Thursday to preview all of the action and then maybe some free agent discussion. Maybe split it up. We'll see what we'll see what happens. We want something for everybody. 
Thanks, guys, for tuning in. We'll see you guys Thursday. Quick break to tell you guys about NFL Game Pass, the only way that you can replay every game all season long. You can relive all the gutsy calls, crazy catches, wild comebacks, and breakout stars from every game every week. It's all the action, all the football you can handle, all in one place. So every game that we're talking about right now, you guys can rewatch it after the fact. I'm going to be going back, and you guys can too. Go check out Lamar Jackson in week one. Go check out Dak Prescott and what that Cowboys offense actually did go check out kyler murray and his nfl debut that's my favorite thing about nfl game pass you can go back and watch at any time and if you haven't watched a condensed game yet you have to try it out it's every play from the game back to back to back so you can replay an entire nfl game in the fraction of the time it normally takes it's how i'm able to follow all the mvp candidates all the breakout stars and of course your waiver wire pickups all season long to see all the action this season and stay on top of all the big storylines, you need NFL Game Pass. Best of all, you can kick off the 2019 NFL season with a seven-day free trial of NFL Game Pass. Just sign up now at nfl.com slash pro football focus NFL.